All right, hello everyone and welcome. This is Let's Talk Animation, that is the placeholder name for this podcast, uh, where I nerd out with my friends about all things animated. I'm your host, Alex, and uh, I'd like to introduce some of my friends who will be joining me today to talk about animation. So first up is Michael. Hello. How's it going, Alex? It's going well. Next up is Iris. Hey, hey, everyone. How's it? All right. Next is Danielle. Oh, hi. Hi there. (laughs) And finally, Marcus. Hello. (laughs) All right. Well, welcome to our very first episode, everyone. So uh, the idea for this podcast is to talk about animated media, whether that be movies, cartoons, anime, video games, or anything else that is animated. Uh, We'll be bringing up a topic or a show every week and talking about it. And I think at the end of our discussion, we will give our verdict on whatever topic we're talking about and rate the show or perhaps give examples of similar animated media in the style of that show. But for our first episode, rather than talk about a specific show right off the bat, I want to talk about why animation is an important form of media. Because usually animated movies and cartoons are directed at children, which might make people think that the media of animation is uh, childish. But many animated movies, in my experience, are exceedingly mature in the subject matter they cover and the topics they represent. Uh, So we will be diving into that topic uh, for today's kind of episode zero, but as a kind of getting to know you a conversation starter, I do want to ask all of us uh, if we can remember our very first animated show or movie that you watched and what it was. So yeah, take a second to think about it if you have some trouble, but uh, go ahead and share out whenever you're ready. Well, for me, my one of my earliest memories of, honestly, any kind of TV show or movie was seeing Tarzan, the, the animated Disney uh, musical Tarzan, in really? theaters in, uh, I mean, I must have been like three years old, you know, in 1999. Uh, and I have, I have almost no memories of the actual experience other than that one, uh, you know, Strangers Like Me, that song. Um, the earliest movie that I can actually remember the experience of seeing was, I think might have been uh aladdin uh not in theaters obviously because that's a lot earlier Uh, that would be watching at home you know with my with my family um but i have i have some pretty distinct memories of being you know like four or five years old and just being captivated by robin williams's genie uh you know all the magic uh the flying carpet the spells and everything uh so yeah, pretty pretty magical experience in a very literal sense. Uh, yeah, that sets you down the path to pursue musical theater later on, I assume. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I have a uh, very interesting story, if you don't mind. Go ahead. go ahead. So for me personally, I can barely remember my early childhood and can barely remember the things that I watched then. Um, and so the earliest memory that I have is actually probably 
I would say when I was 11. And yes, I know that's even What really? I know. The 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 previous years they uh they did not imprint on me very. <laughs> I don't know why. At least in terms of Bruh. films. Like I'm sure that I watched stuff, but none of that is in my brain right now. Michael. But the I listen. The most poignant memory I have is watching Mulan for the second time. <laughs> and this is this is I don't know what's wrong with me. My brain is weird. But I don't know why, but that second viewing of Mulan was the one that actually kind of made me feel anything um, as to as opposed to just sitting there absorbing pictures coming at me. This one was like, oh, wow, the music is so good. And like Mulan is really funny and these characters are very funny and the animation is very quirky yet also realistic and stuff like that. Um so that that's my first memory. I don't know why, but there it is. Okay. Um, well, we will come back to your memory loss a little. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, Danielle, were you about to say something? Um, yeah, I think I sort of have two. I'm not sure which one is first, but I know both of these were before I moved out of like out from my current home and then came back so I know this is around I was three or four um so one of them is I guess because nostalgia has its effects my first the first tv show or my favorite tv show I can remember um it's called Gargoyles it was it's a Disney um afternoon series um it's basically if you don't know what it's about um it's about these gargoyles that um, come alive at night and then turn to stone during the day, sort of like perched off on like um, old buildings. So they used to live in this um, like old like Scottish castle in, I can't even remember the date, um, but then uh, they got frozen. They were enchanted. So they were stone for like, a thousand years or so and the curse was lifted um when the castle rose above the clouds and so what happened is that in current day which then was like the 1990s some like super rich dude from new york uh took this castle and put it on the top of his skyscraper in manhattan and because the castle was then above the clouds then all the gargoyles could um like were now active and they were trying to understand like their new life in like current day and i think like this was i mean this was uh still a great show it's super underrated it's basic it's sort of like a cult classic to anybody who even knows of it um but i remember watching it with my parents and thinking it was great and i, I also remember in like second grade like several years later um our teacher was like oh yeah like bring uh like bring a show to school for whatever reason, like let's watch it on TV. So I brought that. And I think it was sort of like disturbing to all of the parents because there was violence in it. And like, cause there's like guns and shooting and then there's like, like people being locked up or whatever. And I don't know, none of that like left any sort of imprint on me. I was like, yay, this is great. And like, like that did not affect me. But I can see how uh, a lot of 
parents of like eight-year-olds would be like, oh my god, this is so disturbing. Why are you showing our children this? Um, Did you say that was Disney? Yep. Disney Afternoons. Who knew, who knew Disney uh, wrote the prequel to Ghostbusters? Oh, God. <laughs> hey, excuse me, the what now? The You're prequel to Ghostbusters. Joke. There You're was a prequel to Ghostbusters? No, no. Oh, Iris, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe today's not my day because whatever's happening here, I'm not understanding it. <laughs> now, Danielle, I remember, I, I do remember the uh, gargoyles. Aren't they all named after, like, boroughs in New York? Yeah, well, sort of. So the main one, his name is Goliath because... He- because he was, we can do a whole episode on this. I would be so. Oh yeah, so well, let's keep this short. Can we still gotta psyched. get the. But in. yes, uh, many of them are named after areas in New York. Hi, uh, Mr. Long Island. How are you doing? Oh God. <laughs> okay, none of them are and named also, Long Island, please. I think also, you know, in in your introduction, Danielle, it's important to you know for the viewers to understand oh, yeah. like, just how much of a Disney fanatic this woman is i'm a dis nerd i can see at least probably like 10 things no more than 10 things in this room that are disney right now including (laughs) this book called animation staring at me in the face so so yeah so you'll be in charge of all of our disney episodes yes and and i'm i'm pleased to hear that a lot of your early memories are disney so far but i feel like marcus (laughs) is gonna break that streak yeah won't you marcus what about you marcus y'all are tripping dude Y'all are tripping. Um, you guys can't tell me you didn't grow up with the OGs like Caillou and Arthur the Aardvark. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yes. Kids and Cyberspace. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, Cyber. Those are absolutely the first memories I, that I have. did not watch. Did you not watch Cyber Chase? No. Nope. Oh, my God. I mean, I mean, Michael, we've already established here that you have problems. <laughs> in general. So we'll get to that later. But I mean, like that was... That was where I grew up. It, it, you know, Saturday morning cartoons, pretty much like every other kid of my age growing up, that was that was the deal. Danny Phantom, OG SpongeBob, you know, I mean, as yeah. as the years went on, that's that's uh that's where it came from. And it develops an appreciation for animation because you're pretty much getting bombarded with it from every corner when you're a child. So uh but yeah, I mean you, you can't tell me that Arthur yelling Dora Winifred and watching the letters of Dora Winifred just fly onto the screen was not the funniest thing my five-year-old ass had ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh, God. I remember, so for me, my first experience with animation was, classically, Wallace and Gromit. Did anybody else watch Ooh, Wallace and oh, Gromit? Yes, okay. yes. Gromit. Wallace and Gromit was yeah. a mainstay at our household. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I do I do need to tell a story about my experience with Wallace and Gromit because as a kid from I think the ages of a year and a half to uh, two years of age, I think that I, uh, what was it? I was watching the trouser episode in Wallace and Gromit where the penguin comes and oh, tries yeah. to infiltrate their household the wrong trousers that one yeah and i would drag my grandmother to watch (laughs) that uh (laughs) that show i think two times every day for that entire year and a half period as a kid so that is imprinted in my mind oh absolutely i when we get there we need to have a whole discussion about 
just the the train track scene yes of that, that is yeah. that is one of the best scenes of animation i think i've ever seen in my life i Absolutely i fantastic. embody that scene every day of my life <laughs> <laughs> i have never seen this so i don't danielle I mean, I know... it's, it's classic claymation You'll no i know i know that and i know wallace and gromit is claymation i think i saw there was a movie that came out later like in there elementary school and with like curse of the were rabbit because yeah. I think I yeah. saw yeah. that one, yeah, the later but I haven't seen any of the other stuff. It's because Chicken Little, except for Chicken, no, not Chicken Little, um, Chicken Run. Chicken Run. That's by no. the same studios, and I love that movie. Wallace and Gromit. Chicken Run is fantastic, but it was also a little traumatizing, like to watch oh, as a young you mean child. The pie. I mean, yeah, like, like getting cooked into pies. You know, the constant threat of beheading. It was some pretty serious stuff. I was just mad and you scared. Experience that as a child. <laughs> uh, Okay. And oh, yeah, there you well, go, ladies and gentlemen. This is the gamut of our of our uh, our panel today. <laughs> but yeah, Waltz and Gromit probably fueled my love for cheese just because of that moon episode. <laughs> cheese and crackers, man. I honestly believe it, though. I mean, if you watch Waltz and Gromit like cut into that rock on the moon and just like take oh, a big yeah. bite out of it, that was the best. That was everything I wanted as a kid. Actually, that's real. I feel like there are definitely other times in animation that made like a really strong impression on me. I can't think of any right now. So, what about when Simba sucks down that grub in Lion oh, King? Oh, I know what it is. In in a lot of Disney films, the way that the like cats walk like in the aristocats there's a scene where the cats are walking away and also like like at the end of akuna matata when simba timon and pumbaa are walking away the way that the cat's butts move i don't know there's something <laughs> like that's it's a it's a saunter it's not a walk as much yeah. as it's like a saunter or a strut i mean yeah we've already we've already brought up uh, earlier how much my you know love of musical theater specifically was influenced by, you know, watching the the Disney Golden Age movie musicals, you know, over and over and over, you know, Mulan and Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. Also, and just it, you to know, clarify, just... it's not the Golden Age. That's a Disney Renaissance. Golden Age is a different time period. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Continue, though. Did, so... did, you say, did you say okay or gay? <laughs> I said okay. Okay. <laughs> So this talk about um, children's, our experience as kids with these animated movies kind of leads into my next point, which is the fact that it seems that a lot of animated movies and TV shows are relegated for kids. And uh, I kind of wanted to get your ideas and thoughts about why there are so many animated kids shows and movies and not so many uh, animated movies for a more adult audience, if you know what I mean. Is it just because of the cartoonish designs, suspension of disbelief? Because, I'm, how about this? Can we try and think of an animated movie that wasn't aimed at kids in the US? Because I know anime and anime-type movies do have a lot of those more mature films in the style of animation, but... What about here in, like, Western uh, audiences? I mean, I think, first of all, there's an important thing to clarify with regards to that. Um, because I was I was actually listening to a talk the other day by, um, like, a famous Disney producer. But a lot of, like, CGI movies, like, any CGI movies is basically live action with animation. 
right? If we're th if we're thinking about three D animation, like the background is animated, the uh, like a lot of like smaller like NPC or whatever characters. <laughs> <laughs> that is the wrong term, but um, yeah. we've been playing D and D too much. <laughs> yeah, that's the right term. Uh, like all a lot of other characters are animated or have like some or it could be like a real person that has like some sort of animated skin over them um so i think like with regards to your your question i would i i guess i would start to think about like this con like this question with regards to like 2d animation right because i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna or, or put that. it another way like animation that is you know meant explicitly to be you know, viewed as animation, right? Because I think a lot of what you're talking about, right, animating uh, done in like CGI stuff, the background of you know big blockbuster movies, etc. Like, obviously, people are going to understand when watching these movies that they're special effects, but they're are broadly meant to resemble, you know, what those things would look like were they real. You know, so I think I think you can talk about that as distinct from animation that is like clearly meant to be animation. You know, animation as a a choice for a medium rather than filling in where other media fall short you know what i mean well i yeah and what oh go ahead Danielle. Well, well i guess like that kind of opens up like more like philosophical like what is like than what is like actually animation because I, I think somebody mentioned this before but like suspension of disbelief like there there are like like animation does touch us in ways um that or like can make us like imagine things in ways um that normal that like live action cinematography cannot achieve um or like i guess it it feels almost to danielle may i pose a question to perhaps aid you in this answer <laughs> yes michael what a, what question do you have would you call performance capture a form of animation what aspect now, of it what, well, let's define performance capture first yeah. because I don't um, know what that means. So performance capture, I mean, previously it was called motion capture, but they've kind of uh, distinguished the term to be performance capture. Um, for example, the sort of peak example of this is obviously Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. All of that was captured from Andy Serkis's performance. Actually, not, that's not to say that's even true because most of the sort of behind-the-scenes footage you see is Andy Serkis, you know, doing his Gollum thing. And then they put stuff on top of that. But in recent years, for example, continuing with the Andy Serkis train into a movie like Planet of the Apes, where Caesar is being strictly performance captured. Andy Serkis is in a suit. They're even tracking his face. And they're using that information to supply a 3D model with its movements and with its uh, facial features. And so th there becomes a line where the question of if that is something that's animated or not, I think is more blurry than we realize. Mm -hmm. And to my personal opinion, I don't think that something like performance capture is necessarily relegated to the genre of this is an animated movie. Because I think that performance capture inherently is trying to capture a human performance, right? You could obviously performance capture something like a horse or a dog. Like many video games do performance captures on those kinds of animals to get them into their games. But ultimately, the reason that we do that is to make it more 
lifelike. So when does that become not the goal of the movie, where the goal of the movie isn't to make something that's lifelike, but rather to make something with the tools they've been given in terms of animation? So then I guess my counter question to that is then how about like rotoscoping, like how we talk about um, the other day with Undone, how that whole series is That's basically like you're filming somebody, but then you're going over it with like, like pencils and inking, I'm sorry, uh, inking and pen um, to make it look more like what we are calling like 2D animation. So then in that sense, like, would you call that animation? Because it essentially is like, there are parts, elements of that series that obviously are because they defy the laws of physics um but yeah i think that's why it's i think that's an open question like i I think think that relationship is actually kind of the crux at least in my mind of where we can draw that line because in my in my opinion animation has always been i think the preferred medium to kind of step away from what we consider reality or something that is grounded in reality the reason why that Undone, I think, chose rotoscoping is because it's easier to visualize supernatural things that happen in that show when the show is not strictly live action or strictly, you know, this actual person in the real world. You know, it becomes more, I don't want to say comfortable, but I think more kind of well set when there is animation around there to kind of take you into a different kind of mind state mm-hmm. when you're watching something that kind of non-reality like that's not a word back to the posed question on why we think kids shows are animated i was gonna say the same thing i think that it's a combination of two factors one is the first one is the the stuff we just talked about that like um a lot of animated shows and movies try to appeal to a wide variety of creativity and in, in imagination in a sense where at least most studios believe that parents won't um, or not just parents, but adults in general, won't connect with, maybe per- perhaps because they're older or anything like that. I think that the second factor, though, is just the fact that it's almost, it's, it's like a, it's a positive feedback loop. Like, the reason that so many animated shows are for kids is because there were, there were so many animated shows for kids rather than the op- the other way around. Am I making so sense? So like a momentum type of thing, right? It's the way it's always been done, and so that's the way new studios and new projects will choose to do it. Yeah. yeah chicken like, and the egg. If I, if, I, if I look at Disney, and obviously I'm not trying to tread on your ground, Danielle, <laughs> but <laughs> if I look at Disney and my general impression of Disney in the, what did you, what did you say it was? That, that, not the, the golden Disney era, Renaissance period. The Disney Renaissance. Is it not true that the most of those movies are directed at kids. Would you say that? That opens up a different conversation. There's, there's <laughs> yeah, no, a lot absolutely. Of, so I'm, I'm not going to answer that because I have more. Yes, yeah, I, 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 you, I, you want me to say the, yes. It's definitely so more for, nuanced. So for your yeah, no, for I, your, I think for, the question the, of like like what is and isn't meant for kids, air quotes, is I think another great point to bring up here. Yeah. which I'm going to come back to when we're done with this at hand because I have a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, let me just finish this. I think that in the lay person's mind, though, True. that kind True. of Disney what is made for kids. 
And for studios, if they see that, and they see that Disney equals tons of money, then I think that incentivizes studios to go after that, as in to say, oh, Disney's making a lot of animated shows for kids. Let's make animated shows for kids. And that focuses this concentration of animation towards kids just because of the success of Disney. Yeah, and it also kind of, because Disney is such a successful operation, especially in these movies and shows, it also makes other studios kind of model their own art and styles after Disney, which is why we've had Uh this kind of homogeneity of Disney visual uh, similars that have been popping up, like the Minions or, uh, what was it, Secret Life of Pets, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But it also makes it so that when things break from that mold, like Star Wars The Clone Wars or Into the Spider-Verse. Or Shrek. Or Shrek. (laughs) (laughs) Or, yeah, any kind of movie that um, kind of deviates from that Disney look. It, it kind of stands makes it stand out uh, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. I think also... Yeah, and I think... Yeah, go ahead, Danielle. Um, to what Michael was saying before about why does animation relate to, like, quote-unquote, relate to kids more, or, like, why is more animated media directed toward kids? I think this could be... This is possibly an opinion. This is a question almost. Like, But do you think it has to also deal with uh, relatability? Like, for example, like, do you think that perhaps, like, either, like, the, f- the style of animation, whatever is in it, um, is more relatable, uh, like, when you're in early stage of development than perhaps something that is more real or, like, live action? Or is that just because of the subject matter? I think animation as a medium definitely lends itself to... Well, this uh, perhaps isn't exactly the question you were asking, but I think it lends itself to making the sort of fantasy, you know, appear on screen that a lot of, you know, children's TV shows and movies, you know, want to achieve, right? I mean, both from just the the stylistic perspective and also from a logistical perspective, right? You know, it's a lot easier to animate, you know, kids doing magic or traveling through space or what have you than it is to... do some kind of you know live action cgi animation you know a colloquial definition of animation if you will um and i think i think the the breadth of expression that animation makes possible as far as you know visual styles makes it possible to you know take some of these you know, fantasy uh, settings, you know, this, these, this, these very vivid and imaginative uh, concepts and present them in a way that kids can, you know, uh, uh, take in, can, can understand, can appreciate. So I think in that sense, absolutely, yeah, animation does help kids relate to the subject material. And like, let's remember, if, you know, the alternative is showing them what goes on on the news that's not like the only alternative but it is an alternative and let's be completely honest here reality sucks and if you're a kid you don't want kids watching you know especially in the last like 15 years or so what has gone on with the state of our country our world whatever 
in any i think i think it's a conscious decision by animating studios and you know cartoon producers to be keeping their subject matter on that kind of more fantasy related kind of foundation because that is what allows kids to grow up hopeful happy and you know more open to kind of on that point i think a lot about at least for uh sort of western cartoons and actually including anime the exorbitant style of cartoons and anime lends itself to what you just said too because like in reality if we look around the color palettes of life are bleak gray brown (laughs) with a little bit of blue and green there but in cartoons and anime the color palettes can be as vivid or as as exorbitant as suited to the situation and animation just gives them the power as you said to express that yeah i think another good uh thing to bring up is how animation can add a a layer of abstraction between the viewers of a show and its content material right like take for example you know one of the all-time great greatest cartoons ever scooby-doo right like imagine that premise right you have like a, a spooky monster of the week uh you have you know, like some some creepy locale, an abandoned mansion, a haunted mine shaft, whatever. You have a monster chasing around our five heroes and then getting into all sort of hijinks, you know, scary shit happening. If that show had been, when it was originally produced, had been live action, I think it would have been too scary for a lot of kids, right? Uh, even though it's it's kitschy and it's goofy and it doesn't take itself too seriously a lot of the time. I think it would have had a lot of difficulty bridging that gap had it been, you know, live action filming. By animating this, you can, you know, provide that layer of abstraction, provide that distance between, you know, the children watching it and this idea of, you know, being chased by something that you legitimately think is a frightening monster that wants to, you know, suck out your soul or kill you or whatever, right? It allows, you know, distance between the more difficult stuff so that premise can then uh be used as a vehicle for you know the humor the fun the 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 comedy of the show yeah and this kind of leads us into uh one of my other talking points which was uh what can animation do that live action cannot and vice versa what can live action do that animation cannot and you guys mentioned like absolute control is something that uh animation lends itself to because it is an art form and certain things you can control for in uh the animation studio you can't really control for in real life such as like michael said the color palette or even simple things such as the weather and um i do feel like one of the things that i'd like to see more in animated media that animation really does have a strong hold on is action like these crazy action sequences you might see in anime or in avatar the last airbender those kinds of fantastical things with superpowers because it's in that kind of animated media uh medium i should say it allows us to lend ourselves to that sense of disbelief and fully embrace that fantastical world that these characters live in right and i think you know if we're going to bring this up we of course need to at least mention you know the the long history of you know like superhero type cartoons right the 
uh, animated Justice League series, the Avengers Assemble, you know, like a, many other shows that I, you know, can't possibly name all of here. But I, I think even with those examples in mind, I do still agree with your point that there is, I think, something of a, a lack of, you know, really compelling cinematography. I'm not sure if that term quite applies here, but like cinema, cinematography mm-hmm. style uh, work, you know, even in these, you know, action oriented, fighting oriented type shows. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I 100% agree with you. Yeah, and that's why I think, I think Into the Spider-Verse really nailed it on the head by providing us a real glimpse of what animation can achieve, especially in those action type movies. And uh, like I said, anime also does that really well, especially action anime. Uh, just off the top of my head, like Attack on Titan or Kill la Kill, those types of shows really lend themselves and fully lean in on those crazy movements that only an, an animated character could do. I think you bringing up Into the Spider-Verse is actually, well, it, it brought something up to mind because I think that on your point on something that animation can do that live action can't, I think that for me at least, the success of Into the Spider-Verse is obviously inclusive. It's plot, it's characters, all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I think that what it really brought for me was the the power of comics into the medium of films. Like, obviously we have, we're in the sort of golden age of Marvel right now where, you know, superhero movies are good, but they didn't always be, the, they, they weren't always that way, right? But the mm-hmm. reason that, at least for me, that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is so popular is strengthened not on the sort of CGI that it has. Like, it's obviously great, but a lot of it is based on character, on, you know, structure, things that are, you know, in general to any kind of story or plot. Whereas Into the Spider-Verse really leaned into trying to bring the essence of comics into the medium of film. And in my opinion, it did so very successfully in a way that no one has really ever done so. Yeah. I I mean, I feel like, yeah, go ahead. I think it's important to note that Spider-Verse took 10 plus years in development to make. Yeah. Like that was, they, they made animation as, as Michael said, they made animation the forefront of that movie, not necessarily the, you know, the story as well as the story and plot were constructed, the animation and trying to put something that's 2d into 3d was, was their point. But that took a lot of work and it took a lot of money and it took a lot of people. And I can imagine that you saw this as well with the latest episodes of Clone Wars. These things, these projects where they try and make giant cinematic battles in an animated medium. I'm not even sure that's easier than doing it in live, like CGI, like lifelike CGI. I think, I think that amount of work is so difficult that it, kind of discourages a lot of studios from I, I think it's because following. nowadays making realistic cgi is easier than making stylized cgi i, I guess so yeah. yeah i think another important thing to note in this is that it's hard to directly compare a movie like into the spider-verse to other animation styles because of how explicitly they channeled you know the comic book imagery right you know the very like 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 invoking the image of like comic book panels you know directly in the the film the you know the uh, like sound effects as words, you know, the, the like crack and thoom yeah. type stuff that comic books do. You know, it's sort of, um, you know, you could similar to like what Scott Pilgrim versus the World did, oh, yeah, right? Except in 
like a, uh, a a base animated medium rather than animation on top of live action filming. You know, it's hard to it's hard to look at that as an accomplishment of film and then directly kind of compare that to other animation styles, you know. But I mean, let's look at it this way. If they ever did decide to make a live action Avatar The Last Airbender movie, they would essentially have to they, they would essentially have to like every, every all try, imagine if they tried to make like the the final battle of that of the, those last couple episodes of the cartoon into uh, Ang versus Ozai. Yeah, yeah, Ang versus Ozai, Magni Kai uh, or whatever you call it. Magni Kai. Magni Kai, thank you. Um the the scope of trying to do that uh in CGI I don't think would be that difficult because there's already enough kind of work done in making like gigantic explosions and huge gouts of fire and people flying across the screen and stuff. But animating that, I assume, took a lot of time. And yeah. I, I guess, I guess my point is like, if it's if it's easier to just do it in a way that's kind of the standard or what people are used to, in a sense that you know CGI is the standard and CGI continues to get better every year. Why not just do that instead of put more work and more effort into, you know, making it more, I guess, uh, faithful to the original animation style? Do you think the effort for, okay, I know we're going to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender eventually on this show. Cause obviously well, that's our next episode, actually. There we go. Um, oh, amazing. Just do one you episode? think, the, yeah, we, got, we could go on for like years about that. Anyway, do you think the, uh, I'm going to pose another question. Here we go. Yeah. Do you think Please. that the effort it took to produce something like Avatar The Last Airbender, in many ways, um, the sort of things they did, the new stuff they did, does that add to the quality of the show? I think it does. Absolutely, I, and, yeah. And yeah, I think, I think you know, as CGI gets better, so does animation. Animation continues to improve people find better ways to make these bigger scenes uh, look more kind of more action-packed, I guess. I'm going to refer to Star Wars The Clone Wars again because I had just finished watching it. But in the very beginning episodes, all the lightsaber fights are very kind of lightsaber slash. And then the movement is so quick in between individual lightsaber slashes that it basically just looks like individual frames of two lightsabers colliding mm. in tandem. But as the show went on, they were actually able to animate more kind of fluid lightsaber styling like the prequel movies had, where it looks kind of more like a dance, more like a choreographed performance than it did just slash, slash, slash. So, like, and of course, you know, they, they also did some mocap uh for the last couple episodes of Clone Wars as well. So there again lends that kind of question as to whether or not performance capture really is animation. But even if it isn't, I think it certainly helps. And they're going to they're going to try and steal as many ideas they can to make it easier as time goes on. Yeah, of course. So I think another uh, interesting idea to, to to bring up at this juncture, which also you know ties back to this question of you know what does animation do that uh, you know live action does not. You know, if we're talking about the the difference between, uh, as you brought up, right, this this um, 
final climactic fight of Avatar The Last Airbender, you know, will be the difference of doing it live action versus animation. I think, you know, when you're trying to do CGI for, you know, a live action movie, right, there's sort of, you know, not that not to say that there's not, you know, stylistic or artistic choices to be made, but at the end of the day, you are going for a look that's going to be pretty consistent with our perception of, you know, just day-to-day life, right? Real exactly. life. And, you know, I think that that sort of constrains the overall target of what you are trying to make. Whereas in animation, there's a, I think, a much wider selection, a, a, a much larger breadth of stylistic design philosophies, you know, you can be working with, aesthetics you could be working with. Uh, and I think I also want to, I, I think it's also the case that in animation, you know, or rather I'm going to pose this and you guys can agree with me or disagree with me. I feel like animation as a medium lends itself a lot more to a lot of really small detail work that, you know, it's the kind of thing where you can just pour more and more time and money into it, make it more and more detailed and continually improve the product whereas i you know in in cgi uh live action stuff there's diminishing returns the more kind of tiny little detail work you put in you know because in animation you have so much explicit control over every single part of every single frame of every single second i guess the way i want to respond to that is i still want to i guess think about the distinction between like fully animated things things that are a combination of like live action and cgi and then just like fully like live action like if you just took like a, a camera and like moved around because sure I, sure and and to clarify I'm, i am talking about the difference between like um like 2d animation and like cgi animation okay so then i guess i feel like when you go into cgi animation there is still a like a level of control that you do have that you might not get with live action just because of uh like technical like technicalities or even the scope of what you're trying to do like for instance if you're trying to do like a really complicated shot for example like like a camera move that's like really crazy like in real life being able to physically move that camera and do something crazy or like zoom in all of a sudden on this really tiny detail as you mentioned and then like that would I don't know if one we have the capabilities to do that and two that would cost like a crazy amount of money versus doing something like that in CGI or even um more like complete animation like 2D or just complete like 3D I still think that you are able to do a lot of those um things and therefore I don't know I I don't feel like there is a diminishing return I think it's all about like what story are you trying to tell and if the story that you're trying to tell necessitates the use of a lot of details in order to be able to like to have levels and layers upon the story then you can create that versus maybe you can't necessarily do that in a strictly live action sense I, I take your point. Let me see if this clarifies what I'm trying to say. So, I mean, we're talking about Le- uh, Avatar already, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going with that. Imagine, um, <laughs> think to The Legend of Korra season two, the two part episode with Avatar one, right? Yeah. Oh. Uh, you know where where that episode, you know, as distinct from the rest of the season and the rest of the you know visual, uh, it, it had its own distinct aesthetic, 
right? Yep. If you if you can visualize that right now, you know, very kind of um, like you're you looking. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, so imagine, you know, the very basic thing in this world of Avatar, you know, a firebender making a gout of flame. You know, in the real world, a gout of flame looks like like has a way that it looks that just like is how real life looks right in 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 cgi animation right the, to to fit amongst a live action movie you know all the work that you are putting into this this you know one individual effect is going towards making that burst of flame look as real air quote as possible you know there are options you have within that but broadly your goal is to make it look realistic whereas in animation you know the difference between any other episode of Avatar versus this one, you know, like special, distinct, aesthetic, hand-drawn episode. I I have this very distinct visual of one moment in that episode in mind, but, you know, a gout of flame in normal Avatar being, you know, just kind of like broad, you know, like reds and oranges and yellows versus in this one episode, like a firebender throws a, a fireball and like for like three frames, it's just got this incredible detail to it, you know, like uh, like lines of red and yellow interspersed amongst swirling. each other, you know, and yeah, swirling, like curling in and amongst themselves, right? These like um, this every frame of painting, quote unquote, type uh, effect, which of course is a, a name I'm evoking that we did not come up with, you know, already uh, whatever copyright, <laughs> copyright, no, it's copyright that. Um. Right, but but this idea that you know each individual frame can be its own like incredibly detailed like painting esque uh, work, whereas you know that level of detail in I think CGI animation doesn't really, you know, if you if you put in that amount of effort and that amount of like attention to individual frame by frame detail, you don't quite get the same effect in a final product. Well, I, I think I think like I my 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 stance on your your kind of position is like a slight agreement because while that is true while there while there while we go back to this point of like there being more kind of control that you have in stretching little bits of where reality and fantasy can meet so that you can make things that are as kind of impactful as that one scene that you're referring to that I think falls also very clearly on like the director and the directorial choice of that particular like media piece. Like it's no it's no it's it's no surprise that like the the people who made Avatar: The Last Airbender and Korra, you know, poured their heart and soul into it. There are a lot of other studios that do make 2D animation who simply don't feel like it's worthwhile to do that kind of uh, that kind of detail in animation i think i think people the, the the directors that are truly like driven to try and send very subliminal messages such as emulating that kind of calligraphy style that alex had mentioned in drawing that fire you know those are conscious choices but it i think it lends more to the director than it does to the medium mm -hmm. of which that's being right. and i'm not saying that's like a that's like a mainstay of all animated media i'm i i, I feel like my position is simply that that sort of detail work is more possible and more impactful in animation. May uh, I bring like, up the yeah, Uncanny yeah. Valley? <laughs> because <laughs> Are we I, talking about Polar Express? I, well, a little bit. But I think that, to your point, Iris, I think what you're trying to say is there are different directions that we go to avoid the Uncanny Valley. One is to the right, trying to make it as realistic as possible so it looks as good as possible. 
and the other way is going to the left, making it look unrealistic so that it looks better. And I think that's the difference. Like when you're talking about diminishing returns, when looking at details in live action, that's the difference because going to the right is so much harder to do than just going all the way to the left, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. It's not quite exactly what I was trying to say, but I think that's also a good point uh, to bring up. For me, I just keep thinking back to uh, Doctor Strange, where they enter the mirror dimension and basically the entire landscape is folding over in and on on itself. Like, that kind of CGI was made not at all to kind of emulate reality in the sense that reality doesn't do that. Obviously, the buildings in New York are the same. Like, Are you sure? Or is it London? (laughs) <laughs> I don't it's New York. No, that was in New York. That was in New, New York. Like, actually, well, te- yeah, 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 they actually cloned like certain parts of, so you yeah. can see like multiple uh, like Empire states or whatever. whatever. Yeah. Um, but like they they made it so that you know all the buildings look the same, but they the the way that the CGI was constructed was to convince the viewer that it was not real at all. Like, you know, that is actually a fantastic point, and I think I'm even going to bring up another counterexample to what I just said. Uh, Inception. Yeah, you know, yeah. all the scenes of bending the landscape, you know, slotting buildings in together. That's that's actually that that's a really great point. Yeah, I think in those cases, uh, as as Michael was mentioning, the direction is taken the other way, where rea- like the the realistic appearance of these things is only the backdrop. It's it's only to keep essentially like the humans in the story, like not looking completely out of place. Everything else is kind of up for grabs, and in those in in those two specific advan- uh, examples. The directors went all out in trying to yeah. make mm-hmm. every bit of detail look as though you know that car literally drove off the edge of the world and then made a 90 degree turn and kept driving you know those kind of small details i think you can find in 2d animation and 3d animation or cgi animation it's just depending mm-hmm. on where the director wants to take it so. i feel like a like a bigger kind of partition rather than detail in between like what looks real like in live action or CGI and in other like 2D animation, I think like a bigger difference um, that separates the two and what you can and can't do is um, I think like proportion might be one example. So like, for example, like if you think about like Elastigirl in The Incredibles, like her arm just like stretching on forever, like trying to imagine somebody that looks human having that kind of same effect might be a little bit more off-putting. And it, mm-hmm. and it feels like it feels a little bit better to have something that removes that level of reality um, or yes. th- or like even yeah. something that might be like incredibly disturbing. Like, I don't know, like eyeballs, like just surfacing from your forehead and popping out. That's literally the first thing I thought of. Like that might be well, another, another, another or like cat fingers in Steven Universe. Like another very similar <laughs> example is if anyone uh, if anyone listening to this has ever played the video game team fortress 2 right that's a video game with a very cartoony style right and uh if you if you look online you can find a picture where someone you know took the characters in that game and gave them you know like like realistic human looking you know like textures you know keeping their like proportions the same it's terrifying they gave them human skin human they gave them a human skin and they are frightening eldritch nightmare monsters I, i've know, seen that with the spongebob like, models too <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that oh, too God. you know and and even and even like something less ridiculous than that uh danielle you probably haven't watched uh the live action fantastic four movies oh from like I think 2005 I the, the, yeah but i did you're right 
Mr. Fantastic is kind of the only character. Like, the Human Torch is kind of easy because they can just yeah, ignite fire. his entire body on fire. Mm-hmm. But the, Mr. Fantastic, whenever he stretches, it looks like it looks uncomfortable. It doesn't feel right <laughs> to look at. And I'm not saying that that, you know, contributes in any way to the success or non-success of those movies. But, like, I think you're right in saying, like, when you see fantastical things like that, you don't want to see them in non-fantastical yeah. human bodies because then you're just like, Ugh, you know? And I think all this kind of goes back to the the thing I was saying earlier about abstraction, right? Yeah. You know, like, providing, like, a, a little bit of a gap between, like, this idea of like what's actually happening and like what it looks like, you know, how it's portrayed or perceived. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, I think uh, just to be conscious of people's time, uh, we are going a bit over the 45 minute mark for this episode. So uh, these are all great points, but I'm going to have to put the button on that. Uh, as, as you can tell, we are very, opinionated talk people about this a lot for of thoughts. <laughs> exactly. you know, that, that is why we're making a podcast yeah there we it. go <laughs> <laughs> if you ever wanted to know our motivation this is it yeah but um thank you for tuning in to our episode zero for uh placeholder name let's talk animation we are actually going to discuss the uh possible permanent name for this podcast after this recording session so if the name changes uh that's the reason why but uh, once again, thank you for joining us and join us next time for our discussion of Avatar Part 1, which will be probably our next episode. And to end this uh, episode, I do want to start a little bit of a trend where I recommend one YouTube animated video that I think is uh, real neat and either... Uh, worth the watch or really funny. So this episode that I'd like to recommend uh, is titled Tales of Oitheron, The Reward. Hey, can you spell and that? Oitheron is spelled A-L-E-T-H-R-I-O-N. Have any of you watched this or heard of no it? No idea what that no is. No idea what that is. You showed it to me. So yeah, I've, I've seen it before. Yeah, if you've ever played D&D or if you've ever had a fantasy game experience you should definitely watch this video because it is a 10 minute video of pure uh, fantasy goodness so definitely check that out but that will do for us today so thank you once again everybody for stopping by and having a listen we will see you all next week thank you thank you thank all you. bye, bye.